everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help your family members and friends. It is Friday, April 27th. It's just about 9 a.m. Central Time, and it is sunny in Chicago. It feels like spring finally arrived this last week in April, and it couldn't arrive soon enough. This morning, we're going to talk about crucial caregiving conversations. I just want to give you a couple quick Heads up, and then we'll bring on our guest, Warren, who joins us every month to talk about crucial caregiving conversations. I posted a budget for our third annual National Caregiving Conference. I think it was end of last week. So if you're thinking about coming to the conference and you're wondering, well, how much do I need? I put together the budget for you. So it gives you cost of registration. We have a meal plan this year cost of the hotel if you plan on staying at the hotel, and just kind of a ballpark figure if you're going to drive in or fly in. We do have attendees that come from all across the United States and from Canada. And I want to also let you know that we know that you might be traveling alone, but know that when you arrive at the conference, you're no longer alone. So if you're thinking, gosh, I'd love to go to that conference, it would be great to connect and be part of this movement to make life better for family caregivers, but I don't want to go by myself. And know that when you arrive, you're no longer alone. We have lots of opportunities for you to connect and share, and we know that caregiving can be a lonely experience, and we don't want you to be alone, especially at the conference. So if you go to caregiving.com, look for the headline that says your budget, your NCC18 budget. Our hashtag for this year's conference is NCC18. And you'll see on the website that I often just refer to the conference as NCC18. I did post the agenda earlier this month, and it just looks phenomenal. And a reminder, what makes our conference different, different is that family caregivers and former family caregivers are our presenters and panelists. So when we get to the conference, we're the experts. We're the experts in our day, and we're the expert at the conference. So that's why when you attend sessions, you're going to attend a session that's led by someone who currently cares for a family member or someone who previously had. That's what makes our conference unique. It truly is about our community and about us as experts. So the conference is November 9th and 10th in Chicago. We have an evening reception on November 8th. And we also have pre and post conference training and workshops on the 8th and the 11th. So if you come for two nights and you want to stay until Sunday morning, for instance, know that there are workshops that will happen on Sunday morning too. Okay, so those are the updates. For you. So joining us this morning is Warren Abair. He is an alumnus of the Robert, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Executive Nurse Fellows Program. He's also Chief Innovation Officer for a home health analytics company, and he's also a family caregiver. So good morning, Warren. Thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Denise. I'm excited to be back with you this month. So last month we talked about what does a caregiving-friendly community look like, which really took us into the direction of, okay, if, if we looked at organizations 
that we could award like a best in family caregiver designation, who would they be? So we started that conversation and I thought it would be fun to continue it. And I want to mention that I talked about this in our chat room on caregiving.com one night and I asked the fellow chatters, what would you think if we put together this designation and really categorized it by industries and types of businesses? And they said, what a great idea. I think it would be helpful when we're making decisions about which companies do we use, which companies do we buy from. We know which companies understand what the caregiving experience is and then really serve us in a way that helps us in our caregiving experience. So I'm curious, Warren, when you, when you think about making a, a purchase or contracting with a service provider, how much do you take into account your caregiving needs? Yeah, Denise, it's an interesting question, and I think that um, uh, one of the things that I talk about often is how critical it is for us to be conscious of the social supports and services. Coming from a healthcare background as a registered nurse, we are always thinking clinical and medical. But the the research shows that we've got to be taking care of the social supports and services as well. And if the social supports and services fail, then it doesn't matter how good the clinical and medical were. So some simple wow, things. You know, wow. You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the things in, in our day-to-day lives that are important? Well, number one, we need groceries. Um, you know, number two, at age 61, I can still cut the grass pretty well, but uh, I don't do the landscaping quite to the degree that my wife likes it done. Uh, so the the other thing is, you know, housekeeping. Uh, some of those simple things in our day-to-day lives, and I know we're talking, last time we talked about Southwest Airlines, uh, you know, we could talk today also about the web and the fact that mm-hmm. people are able to order, order their groceries uh, online. So, so perhaps there is a company that's doing that sort of thing that does it in a way that is sensitive to family caregivers and their needs being different than others. You know, other things that, that I think about, uh, you know, from, a, from a, a day-to-day perspective of my own needs is, you know, we've got Waiter, uh, the company that essentially picks up and delivers food from a restaurant. Um, but when it comes to the healthcare piece of it, uh, and we, you know, forgive me for continuing to go back to that because I know I just talked about social supports and services, but the fact that we need to be a whole lot better as hospitals physicians' offices, um, diagnostic centers, et cetera, to recognize that every time somebody comes in that door, there's almost always a family caregiver with them. So we've got a really broad spectrum, and hopefully we can find some low-hanging fruit there as we expand this conversation. So a couple of things you mentioned are interesting. So social support happens online. So this morning when I checked Twitter, I saw that one of the highlighted what they call moments on Twitter is a tweet from a young woman of her parents. Her father cares for her mother, and the two of them are sitting together in a recliner, and her mother is in the fetal position, and her father has his arms around her. And she shared quickly what their story is. 
and she's gotten 380,000 likes on it and 64,000 retweets. And I thought that was remarkable. And people saw that and then started sharing their story. And what was so interesting about this is that you can see the faces of caregiving. And it seemed to me that that was this amazing way to connect strangers to a common goal and give them permission to say, this is what it's been like for our family. It really was remarkable. I love Twitter for that reason. I know people spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I'll just tell you from a personal perspective, I share the same content on Facebook and Twitter, and people are mean to me on Facebook, and they're nice to be on Twitter. So that's why I have a tendency to, uh-huh. to go to where the nice people are. But I have found that Twitter was one of the first places I saw people talk openly about their caregiving experience. So when I joined Twitter in... I can't remember, 2009 maybe, it was the first public place other than like my website that I saw people really talking about caregiving, very personal, very honest. So So that's compelling to me. Yeah, this this is really interesting because in in our conversations that we've had in the past, we've talked about the fact that um, isolation is, is one of the biggest challenges for caregivers. Uh, you know, we all know that person who's dealing with some functional limitations or cognitive limitations or, or illness. We, we know they're going to be isolated, but we don't think about the family caregiver and their degree of isolation. So social media helps. We've talked about uh, online support groups. But the other thing is, is, is what, what about within a community and what about within a neighborhood? I just had breakfast this morning with a, an extraordinary young man who's an entrepreneur uh, a builder contractor type and his father has been diagnosed with cancer and his father was a musician uh, here in South Louisiana where I hail from Lafayette uh, Cajun music is really a big deal and long story short musician communities and artist communities are different in that there seems to be some deeper connections uh, around relationships so you know Going back to your comment around Twitter and Facebook, this young man's dad didn't hide the fact that he was diagnosed with cancer and was dealing with a difficult health condition. He told everybody. And the next thing you know is all of his musician friends are are pulling together a big fundraiser for him, but more importantly, a party for him to know how much everybody cares about him. So this young person that you're referring to earlier who showed the picture of the mom in the fetal position and dad with the arms around him. You know, we, we all have a capacity for compassion. And whatever we can do to draw that out of people around family caregiving, I think helps us to be more connected as a community and, and helps to, to prevent or at least reduce the degree of isolation we experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting to think about sharing our story honestly is about also going out of the house honestly. So it's interesting when you were talking about grocery stores, I went to the grocery store yesterday morning. Because I work for myself, I usually go to the grocery store during work hours, so to speak. So I'm in the grocery store late morning, early afternoon. And yesterday, there was a a gentleman with... 
I, I, I'm not sure the relationship to her, but he was with someone else. And he was walking down the aisles looking for something, and she was following him. And so it was clear that she had dementia. And he would stop and look to see if he found it. And she would stop. And then he would start walking again. And then he would stop, and she would stop too. And if you think about the hustle and bustle in a grocery store, <laughs> oh, my right. heavens. It's, yeah. it's, one of the, it's one of the stores that they looked at when they created the dementia-friendly community is to think about how to make a grocery store an easier place for persons with Alzheimer's. But I also think if you're an older, frail adult and you're grocery shopping, oh, my heavens. I mean, you can get twirled around by the hustle and bustle very quickly. So what could a store do to make it easier, not only for the family caregiver, who might have to push a wheelchair and a cart, or who might have a younger child and an older, frail, elderly family member, how do we make it easier to go to the grocery store so that it's family-friendly? Boy, that is is really a good question because I I, I think of the grocery store, um, you know, for me as not only as to a place that I go when I need something, but, you know, sometimes it's just just a, a, a different place to be to kind of wander, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, yeah. and I know we're, you know, my, my wandering is a little bit different than the wandering my dad did when he had dementia, but uh, forgive me, that's maybe not the kind of humor that everybody likes, but um, the fact that we were able to just be there. Um, so, you know, we know that one of the things grocery stores do for families with children is, you know, they've got not only the regular baskets, but they've got the baskets that are connected to little race car-like things that the kids ride in. Uh, and, and you know, I think you're asking a great question. What other things can the stores do, do to make sure that they are uh, acknowledging family caregiver, not in a way that um, makes that person feel like they need extra attention, but just so the stores are aware of that and, um you know, one of one of the things that I read once on a social media site was about a person, a woman who wanted her husband to be out in public, but on occasion, because of his dementia, he would say something that was inappropriate. And um, and he happened to be in a wheelchair, and she put on the back of his wheelchair a little sign saying, uh, "Thank you for caring about us. My husband has dementia, and on occasion, he made something." say something that's less than appropriate. Uh, Thanks for letting us be here with you. And it was like she took care of the thing in a proactive way. Uh, But, but yeah, I like the fact that you're asking a question about what what can stores do, because that certainly is, even if you can't get groceries online, you know, you want to be out in public. Uh, uh, Other things that we might talk about would be a barbershop, you know, or, or a beauty shop. You know, yeah. what can the barbershops or, or, or beauty shops do for that person who is a family caregiver? Um, all sorts of different things. You know, our wheels are turning this morning related to what other areas uh, we can look at. You know, I want to mention something that was developed by a family caregiver for grocery stores, and it's called Caroline's Cart. Have you ever seen this? Where it was no, developed specifically to help 
if you are shopping with a person with special needs and it has a seat that accommodates a person with special needs in the place of where a child would sit in the cart, there's a different type of seat. And she developed it so that her daughter could go grocery shopping with her and sit in the cart. I always think it's amazing what family caregivers do to innovate and to push forward innovation, to think differently about what, what is possible and what can we do. So, Did we so talk another about... Thing oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. You know, the I, other thing I was talking about... about was parks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would, would, would there be times that parks might have that they, you know, sort of identify? And you, you, you brought up a good point earlier that you go to the grocery store during the middle of the workday. And like you, I work from home. So I have the joy of getting out into on the roadways around here at, at times that are not peak traffic times, but also going into the stores that are not peak, peak traffic times. And on occasion, I'll go see an early afternoon movie when they're, when they're in a crowded theater. But... Um, so, so the idea of parks maybe having a, a, an opportunity for family caregivers to meet. Uh, yesterday, Denise, uh, my daughter, Brooke, who we talked about before, who's 27, who has Down syndrome, there was a celebration because she and four of her classmates, who all have uh, different sorts of, of exceptionalities, a.k.a. special needs, are getting ready to graduate from the university, and they're going to walk in graduation and get a certificate. And, but um, it, it occurred to me how far we've come in two generations, because when I was a young person, um, 61, uh, it was very common that uh, people who had exceptionalities were not out in public. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I happen to be Catholic, happened to be Catholic, and there was one family that I remember in our small community who used to bring uh, the son who had Down syndrome to Mass on Sundays. But other than that, you never really saw him out in the community or out in public. Uh, so so that it occurred to me that in two generations we've come a long way and that now we are celebrating people with exceptionalities. We're recognizing that, that they add to the, the diversity of our lives. Um, they help us to see things differently. So, so I, wonder, I wonder if we couldn't have some conversation around how we encourage family caregivers to come out with that caree. Uh, you know, you have a day at the park and somebody's playing music just for family caregivers and the carees. Um, or, or you get an organization that wants to sponsor a coffee forum at a place where folks can get together. Um, you know, I, uh, and, and Denise, you know me well enough to know that some of this comes from my own lens uh, I'm an off-the-charts extrovert, and anytime I can meet somebody new, I'm like a kid in a candy store. But the family caregiver isolation issue, I think, is what I'm getting at here, and that anything that we can do to have the family caregivers meet one another, engage one another in conversation, no matter what sort of condition the caree has, family caregivers can always learn from and support one another. Yeah, it's interesting, this idea that we belong if we look the same, I guess it's the way to think about it, which is the wrong way to think about it. I think about no, a situation. Not, oh, go ahead. It's not, it's not completely wrong because, you know, having a daughter with Down syndrome, 
one of the great things about about that community is nobody has to wear a name badge. You know, if I'm in an airport and I see somebody who has Down syndrome and they're with family, uh, they're going to get to meet me because I'm headed over to have a conversation. So, um, you know, forgive me for, you know, jumping in there, but I, I really think that if we can see and identify one another and know who we are, there are some benefits to that. Absolutely. And I also think if we are used to looking at the diversity of the world, we're not freaked out by a disability's diversity. So I guess the best example I can share is years ago, there was a family who lived on my sister's block who had a child with, I'm not sure what her condition was called, but she had a a disease process that filled her one side of her face with large veins. And um, so half of her face was very large and disformed. I don't know how else to say it. And she was a young, young girl when they moved to the block. And I had not met her until my niece had her maybe fourth or fifth birthday party. And so I like to help at these birthday parties by face painting. And I could only paint a balloon or an ice cream cone because (laughs) the balloon was like a scoop of ice cream, but with a tail on the end. And the ice cream cone was like a balloon, which was a triangle without the tail on the end of the balloon. So the kids would line Mm. up to get their face painted. And when Lauren Uh came up to have her face painted, you know, I just said to her, what would you like? Would you like an ice cream cone or a balloon? And so she told me what she wanted, and so I, I just did it on the one side of her face that I could. And later my sister said to me, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot to let you know about Lauren, but you handled it so well. And I think mm-hmm. the reason that I handled it so well is because I had worked in nursing homes for many years. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happens when we accept everyone as part of our community is that then we're not taken aback by something that doesn't look, and I just use the air quotes with this, as normal. We're just accepting. And that's why it's so important for us to get out of the house and to be part of the community with our caree and to have those signs on the back of the wheelchair that say, I have dementia, thank you for caring. It's critical, I think. We mm-hmm. all belong. We all belong. We, we may have had some conversation um, on one of our past programs about the concept of othering. Um, this was identified by sociologists and other researchers um, a few decades ago when they were doing work. Uh, at the time, people with cognitive uh, challenges back then called mental retardation were primarily living in an institutional setting, and these researchers observed staff engaging the people who were the residents of the institutions, and these researchers came up with the term of othering, and and that was meant to mean that the staff treated one another and treated people who came to visit from the public one way, but they treated <gasps> the residents another oh. way. So, so that concept oh. of othering is something that we probably do. I think if any of us spend some personal reflection time, we can see that there are certain 
certain people that maybe we treat as the other. Um, the word yeah. diversity was used. Uh, the, yeah, the word diversity was used a little bit earlier, and generally when we use that word, we're talking about ethnicities, we're talking about race, in some cases talking about religious belief when when we talk about diversity. But I've been trying to drive the conversation around diversity related to people who have exceptionalities. You know, if we can get on boards of directors or get on committees, get on work groups, uh, people who are self-advocates, then the conversation changes. When it comes to the family caregiver, their perspective on life and perspective on the needs of that caree and people like them would be very different than that of the average person who has not had that experience because they they find a way to, um, you know, the other end of the spectrum from othering um, is in in, in the the talks that I give often is around wanting, O-N-E-I-N-G. Wanting is a word that actually came from the writings of a mystic, uh, Lady Julian of Norwich, was a uh, Catholic uh, mystic from back in the 12th century. She is the first woman on record to have had a book published. And her relationship with God was so close that the word that she came up with was oneing, O-N-E-I-N-G, because she felt that they were getting that close, that, that they were one. Um, and, and it's not my intent to go into a spiritual conversation here, but taking it back to family caregivers. If we find a way to look at those things that we have in common with other people rather than the things that we have that are different, it changes the relationship. And I think if we go out with our carries, we inspire someone else to do that. So I think about an email I got years ago. It always is stuck in my head. It's a, it was from a woman who cared for her husband who had a neurological disorder that was spiraling quickly. So his declines were quick and his appearance was different. He was in a wheelchair and she said, I just feel so awkward going out with him and the way he looks and the way he is. I feel like people are staring. And so I encouraged her to simply smile when she saw people, thank them for their help and have the courage to go out. And I think when that happens, you give someone else courage. I think oftentimes we feel like we don't know how to manage the stairs or what to say. Mm -hmm. And if we're the ones that are out there doing it and have the sign on the back of the wheelchair, it gives an idea to someone else who thinks, oh my gosh, I could do that. And that would help me give the words that I think I need, but I'm not, I haven't been sure what they are. We go out, we give so courage Denise, to someone else. Denise, you've moved in caregiving circles for a very long time. And um, are, are there things that you've experienced, people who have expertise or, or training for family caregivers in the way that the family caregiver interacts with other people in the public? Because I know that we, you know, there's a lot of good work. Uh, United Health uh, Foundation has done good work in the area of workshops and teaching a family member, family caregiver, how to engage personnel in the hospital, how to engage a physician, how to engage others. But I'm wondering if there is some sort of training related to the caregiver's interaction with people in public when they have the caree 
Yeah, you know, you can almost script some things that people could say that would help to be understanding and open and kind so that the perspective that that observer has is is immediately redirected to something positive. Just thinking out loud. So I, yeah, so I wrote a series of articles, oh my gosh, probably 16 or 17 years ago, that does give talking points, especially at a time at a time when you've been in the house for a while and you go out and you think, oh, my heavens, it's different out here. So it gives talking points. And I have a book about how to manage after caregiving ends, and there's talking points in that book to help you with your grieving. So, for instance, you're out in public and it just starts the waterworks for whatever reason. What words can Mm -hmm. you use to explain what's happening? There are talking points for when you first go out socially And people have asked, gosh, I haven't seen you. What's been going on? How do you respond to that? So I've tried Mm -hmm. to give talking points for a variety of situations because I do think that's something that keeps us in the house. We don't know what to say, and we feel awful feeling tongue-tied. And it's just simple statements that we can use that can help us feel more comfortable. And I think when we're comfortable, others are comfortable. It's hard to discover, I think. Good oh, conversation go for next month. Maybe a good conversation for next month. Yeah. Our, our talking points. Yeah. That would be actually great. Okay, so I'm going to make a note. So I can't believe that went by so fast, Warren. That was like a minute. Mm, I lo- it was 30. I, 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 love, I love our conversations. Thank you. <laughs> okay, and just a reminder, Warren joins us on the last Friday of every month at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, which is 9 a.m. Central Time. And Warren, you have a radio show that airs every week. How can our listeners connect with you and listen to your radio show? Family Caregiving is the radio program's title, and it's at uh, radiomaria.us on the web, radiomaria.us, Family Caregiving. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Warren, so much. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.